Ready? Born ready. people you are tuning in to another episode of where the party at i'm your host saba long thank you so much for tuning in so we are going to start today's show off with the election results last tuesday was the primary election in georgia seriously every major news outlet in the entire country was down here uh tuning in to cover the election There was maybe one big surprise, and I talked about this in last week's show. Uh, Could Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, avoid a runoff? And in fact, he did. Uh, He avoided a runoff in the Republican primary for Secretary of State. This was a major, major deal. In March of last year, in 2021, Trump endorsed Jody Heiss, uh, who is a Georgia congressman, to run against Raffensperger. Now, Heiss... Uh, repeatedly defended the Capitol rioters. And at the time of Trump's endorsement, this is what Raffensperger said, and I quote, Few have done more to cynically undermine faith in our election than Jody Heiss. We saw in January, and that was January of 2021, what Georgia voters will do to candidates who use that rhetoric. I guess it's safe to say that Raffensperger indeed got the last word. Now, uh, switching gears to the Senate, and somewhat of a surprise, Herschel Walker held his own against some really compelling GOP candidates to win the Republican Senate primary. He, of course, is going to be facing Raphael Warnock, and I think that's going to be a tough election. Well, (laughs) at least as long as Herschel's handlers continue to carefully carefully script his campaign. Now, they pretty much kept him only in front of conservative media outlets or podcasts or very friendly um, organizations and very friendly interviewers. So far, he's run a very positive campaign. He's traveled across the state. He talks a lot about his Christian faith. And that all sounds remarkably similar to how Warnock won his campaign in the election Uh, for the Senate seat. Herschel has also positioned himself as the underdog, uh, the kid that got picked on, the man that has had mental health challenges. He actively talks about those things as a way to lessen the blow from the Democratic opposition. Now, Warnock has challenged Herschel to three debates. I don't think Herschel has responded yet. Uh, You might remember during the primary Herschel refused to debate his Republican primary opponents. Um, At the end of the day, this is really going to be a turnout game. So speaking of in the primary, Herschel was weakest in Metro Atlanta, which is going to be an interesting thing to pay attention to uh, for the general election in November. And then one last thing about Herschel Walker. He was on Fox News and they asked him where he stood uh, on raising the age to get a firearm and on background checks. This interview went viral. Democrats went crazy about it. But what I found interesting was that he didn't directly answer the question. And he went on this meandering journey of a response about Cain and Abel, about mental health and the federal government tracking social media use. 
And again, Democrats said, you know, this is a prime example of why he's unqualified because he's not eloquent. But remember four years ago, or maybe six years ago now, uh, when we had Trump running for office and Trump was far from eloquent. And voters just don't really care about that. I think I think the majority of Republican voters uh, like what they see in Herschel. Uh, they appreciate that he talks frequently about his religious beliefs. Um, and obviously, we are in the state of Georgia, and he's a dog, and that's a big uh, deal in our state. So obviously, again, the question will be, how many folks turn out? And then also, what do independent voters end up doing? A couple of highlights at the statewide level. Kemp was the top vote-getter, uh, Governor Brian Kemp, in every Georgia county. Another one, Lucy McBeth absolutely crushed Karen, Carolyn Bordeaux in that congressional seat. And then, much to the chagrin of both folks on the right and the left, Marjorie Taylor Greene won her Republican primarily easily. Uh, by the way, the conservative Wall Street Journal had this to say about Georgia's election results. Uh, the results prove that most Republican voters are ready to stop looking backward at 2020 and to start trying to get some real work done for their states and their country. We will certainly see if that holds true uh, in the November election. A few other things about the primary. So there were some partisan ballot questions. So Democrats and Republicans each asked their voters certain policy questions. Now, unfortunately, if you pull a Democratic ballot, you only get questions from Democrats. And then if the same goes for Republicans, if you pull a Republican ballot, you only get a response. Uh, you only get the questions for Republicans. So when I share these results, we're not getting a real sense of what the majority of Georgians feel about these issues because the responses are specific to uh, which party you aligned with for the election. So um, highlighting a few on the Republican side. Uh, first up, this question was absentee drop boxes are vulnerable to illegal ballot trafficking. Should absentee ballot drop boxes be eliminated? 86.5% of voters said yes. Obviously, uh, Senate Bill 202 addressed the question of drop boxes, and this is becoming more and more a refrain. Republicans have shifted and they've gone from drop boxes should only be allowed in certain locations to now drop boxes should be eliminated. Uh, the second question, crime has dramatically increased throughout the country, including in our capital city of Atlanta. Should the citizens of residential areas like the Buckhead community of Atlanta be allowed to vote to create their own city governments and police departments? That response was 79.5%. Um, of course, you can imagine that the Buckhead cityhood people We'll be using this as a reason to get Buckhead Cityhood on the ballot again, um, either for next year or for 2024 in the presidential year. Then the third question I'll highlight here, education is the largest line item in the state budget. Should education dollars follow the student to the school that best fits their need, whether it is public, private, magnet, charter, virtual, or homeschool? The response here was the lowest performing response out of all the questions asked, but it was still very high 
at 78.7%. And then now I'll highlight a few of the Democrats' questions. Uh, Number one, should the United States remove obstacles to economic advancement by forgiving all student loan debt? That response was 85% yes, which I was a bit surprised to see it that high. Um, I thought the distinction of all student loan debt would make it maybe a little bit closer to the 50s. Uh, Biden, as you recall, I've mentioned on the podcast before, he campaigned on forgiving $10,000 in student loan debt. Uh, So supposedly he's going to be announcing a plan to do just that for folks making $150,000 or less. But a lot of liberal organizations are saying that that's just not enough and he needs to cancel more, thinking in the range of 50000 or even better, cancel all student loan debt. The next question, should Georgia voters have the right to gather signed petitions to directly place questions on the ballot, whether to change the law or poll the public? That number was at 87.5% in agreement. Doing something like that would really allow Georgia voters to take uh, within their own hands and their own control questions that they want the public and particularly lawmakers to know their particular stance on. So that means that a question doesn't have to be driven by a particular political party um, or by a big, you know, political entity. This instead can be driven by the public, by the voters. Uh, The next question here. Should the state of Georgia expand access to health care for over half a million Georgians by utilizing federal funds to expand Medicaid? This was a whopping 96.7% in agreement. Uh, if you're paying attention to democratic politics, this is a big issue Stacey Abrams is running on, and she has repeatedly dinged the governor on not expanding Medicaid even though uh, the federal government would be putting in a significant amount of funds to do so. The next question, should marijuana be legalized, taxed, and regulated in the same manner as alcohol for adults 21 years of age or older, with proceeds going towards education, infrastructure, and health care programs? That was 79.5% saying, yes, marijuana should be legalized, taxed, and regulated just like alcohol. Now, I imagine if that had also been on the Republican ballot, it would have probably been closer to that same 79.5% number. I should also add, these types of ballot questions on both parties' uh, ballots is another reason why it's important for younger folks to get out. Party leaders use the responses to these questions to determine what policies they're going to prioritize. And this is another reason why the 18 to 39 demo uh, really should be coming out and voting in droves because policies are being set forth by those who vote. And overwhelmingly, the people who vote are folks 60 and up. All right. A few things at the local election level. Uh, two, three very quick highlights. Number one, DeKalb County is having to do a hand count on its County Commission District 2 race because of some snafus with the machines. That race is going to be a runoff, but they're not quite sure who the runoff will be uh, with. And then another one, this is huge. All three cityhood movements in Cobb County failed. So that was East Cobb, Lost Mountain, and Vinings. 
this was a major win for the Democratic-led county commission. And the third thing, the Augusta mayor's race is headed to a runoff. The current mayor is term limited. All right. And switching gears to uh, something that I know you all are all dealing with. We just had Memorial Day weekend. I imagine some of you were driving to the beach, uh, which I'm jealous. So Governor Brian Kemp has extended his suspension of the state gas tax through July 14th. I think I mentioned a few episodes ago that Kemp suspended the gas tax just before the primary. So he did this in March. And so far, the state has lost about $300 million in lost revenue uh, because of that gas tax suspension. Now, at the federal level, uh, Senator Raphael Warnock has been trying to push through a temporary suspension of the federal gas tax, but Republicans uh, have pushed against it. Uh, why? Because it's an election year, and the last thing they want to do is give Democrats a victory on an issue like the high cost of gas. Continuing with our theme here about the economy, some new numbers are out from McKinsey's American Opportunity Survey, and they spell real trouble for Democrats. A few of the highlights. Number one, Metro Atlanta's economic optimism ranks 105 on a scale of 0 to 200. And that number, 105, is eight points lower than the national average. And it's also lower than when folks were surveyed a year ago. Big problem. Folks of color who responded to the survey are less pessimistic than their white respondents, though every single group posted an overall decrease in optimism. Another one, Americans are less optimistic about their long-term access to economic opportunity. And then what's interesting here, when you drill down the numbers, they are even lower for people who live in rural communities and also lower for people who identify as trans or non-binary, which is not a big surprise when you think of uh, things like what happened in Florida with the Don't Say Gay bill. Another highlight, the Consumer Price Index, which is the most watched indicator of inflation, rose 8.3% year over year from April of 2021 to April of 2022. This was the fastest pace of inflation increase since 1981, which is a big problem. And we all know this, it outpaced wage growth, which was about 5.5%. Uh, Another point here, the Federal Reserve reported this month that the total consumer credit rose by $52.4 billion in March. Big numbers. That's the steepest increase since November of 2001. And then one-third of respondents to this survey reported that they decreased uh, their spending on entertainment, dining, And they reduce spending on things like clothes and on debt payments, which some of that might be student loan debt. So we've got folks who are pessimistic about their economic future. The consumer debt is rising and the cost of goods is also increasing. And at the same time, nearly every sector is struggling to find workers. Businesses have posted on average 10 million jobs that are open and vacant. But employers have been able to fill only 60% of these positions. 
Now, Raphael Bostic, who is the chair of the Atlanta Federal Reserve, just wrote this in the Atlanta Fed's blog, and I quote here. During the pandemic, the pool of potential workers shrunk because of several forces, double the number of normal retirements, fear of contracting COVID, issues finding childcare, caregiving requirements at home, and government fiscal relief programs. A further constraint on labor participation, increased substance abuse. That's a big problem. So again, we've got Folks that are trying to raise wages, right? So employers across the country are raising wages, but even that isn't enough. According to the Fed's data, compared to boomers, higher wages are only about half as likely to draw Generation X to the workforce, and they're only three quarters likely to draw millennials to the workforce. So a big problem here. Again, we've got pessimism about the economic future high debt, high cost of goods, businesses struggle to find employees, we've still got COVID. And then the Federal Reserve is saying, we've got a substance abuse problem to the point that it is constraining labor participation. These are all big, big issues here. And then don't forget gas prices are also through the roof. And so businesses have figured out a workaround for all this stuff that's happening, at least as it relates to the labor crisis. Robot orders have increased 40% in the first quarter of 2022. And I bet year over year, quarter over quarter, we are going to see that number continue to rise. Oof, America is a lot. There's a lot happening. Uh, continuing with what's kind of happening with the labor crisis. So employees, we often talk a lot about what's going on with unionization. Employees at the Apple store in Cumberland Mall have backed out of their plans to have a June 2nd vote to unionize. So this from the Communications Workers of America, that's the union that they were going to join had they had that vote and voted in agreement. An overwhelming majority of the workers at the Cumberland Mall store announced that they were forming a union in April and requested recognition from the company. Since then, Apple has conducted a systematic, sophisticated campaign to intimidate them and interfere with their right to form a union. Again, that's from the Communications Workers of America. So, now, if they had held that vote on June 2nd, the Cumberland store would have been the first in the country to unionize. Uh, Apple, in response to what's going on with these union attempts, has announced that it's increasing the base pay at retail stores from $20 an hour to $22 an hour. And then also, their head of retail emailed a video to stores across the country addressing the attempts to unionize. You know, one of the things they did with this video was they added unique watermarks to each store's video, even though it was basically the same thing, so they could track which store leaked it to the media in the event that it was leaked. And so as a workaround, instead what workers did was just share the audio. So they didn't show the actual video, but they showed the audio. Um, and Starbucks, another company that we've talked about a lot in this unionization effort going on across the country, the National Labor Review Board has filed another batch of charges against Starbucks for intimidating employees trying to unionize. Uh, this one was for folks at the Santa Cruz store. So managers at that store cut hours and threatened to write up workers 
for attaching a union, a union symbol on their apron. So it was basically a sticker uh, that showed that they were pro-unionization. Now, this wasn't against the dress code, uh, but they were still threatened nonetheless. And so far, uh, the latest count is 100 stores have voted to unionize. And this is pretty wild. The union organizers' win record at Starbucks is 88%. That is extraordinarily successful. Right, on to uh, your favorite part of the show, my favorite part of the show, party starters and party poopers. Let's get it started in here. What's rule number one? Party. But to be honest, this first one, I don't know if it's a party starter or it's a party pooper, but I'll share with you what's going on here. So this is a clip uh, that I'm going to play. So Representative Mo Brooks of Alabama, he's a hardcore MAGA guy, uh, but a broken clock can be right twice a day. So he was at a campaign event in March and I don't know if he knew this or not, but his comments were being recorded. And, and he talks a lot in this clip about money and politics. Uh, he talks about why Congress is so broken. And it's not a surprise to political people, but it's just rare to hear a politician admit it, a rare to hear someone older admit it, um, and someone who's part of the Republican establishment. Take a listen to this. Sure, that y'all are very much concerned about why our Congress is so unresponsive to the regular needs of American citizens. Why some of these policies that come out are so bizarre, so unfair, so skewered against regular Jane and Joe citizens. The reason is simple. Special interest groups run Washington. And I don't mean that metaphorically, I mean literally. Now, here is how it happens. In the House of Representatives, I'll use that as an example because that's where I work. If you want to be chairman of a major committee, you have to purchase it. And the purchase price for a major committee, say like Ways and Means, minimum bid is a million dollars. I'm, I'm talking literally here. I'm not talking metaphorically, okay? We have committees broken down by A group, B group, and C group. C are the cheapest, B are the most expensive, uh, are middling, A is the most expensive. It's the most expensive because those are the committees that the special interest groups care the most about. So where does a congressman come up with a million dollars to be chairman of one of these A committees? You can't get it from Joe and Jane Citizen because Joe and Jane Citizen back home, they're not going to be contributing that kind of money. They don't have it. They need that money for their own family. That is pretty doggone wild. All right. Turn out the lights. The party's over. <laughs> the party is over. Close the gates. Party's over. Everyone go home. Are you sure you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your party? I'm the party pooper. Now, the party pooper, this is definitely a party pooper. 
Uh, this is for, about the Michigan Republican Party. But if you are a Michigan Democrat, you might consider this a party starter. Uh, so Michigan does things a little bit different uh, for offices like governor. So when you run for governor, you have to get signatures from voters before being actually put on the ballot. And for the governor's race, that's 15,000 signatures. So for any statewide race, you have to get 15,000 signatures. So the Republican candidates for governor hired consultants to get those individual signatures from voters, but it turned into an absolute mess. Uh, in fact, they ended up doing what they have accused Democrats of doing in actual elections. Uh, the people uh, whose names were on the signature list Election staff found names of dead voters, of voters who no longer lived at the address listed, multiple names clearly written in the same handwriting. Uh, doesn't that sound like election fraud? So uh, five candidates, including two major contenders, have now been blocked from appearing on the ballot. There's obviously some lawsuits that have been filed to get these candidates back on the ballot, but they are really running out of time. Um, the top two candidates in particular have filed. By the way, one of these top contenders is a black man, and he's the former Detroit chief of police. So if he ends up on the ballot, it would be interesting to see a matchup between him and the incumbent governor, uh, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer. So the Republican chair of the board of canvassers, now these are the folks who determine if those candidates can indeed be placed on the ballot, said the petition circulators should go to jail. It's to be determined on what's going to happen with them. But if I were head of the state Republican Party, I would make sure those folks were blacklisted from every single campaign. Uh, if those candidates, uh, the five candidates, particularly the top two contenders, aren't able to get back on the ballot, it's pretty much guaranteed that Gretchen Whitmer uh, will be able to get reelected without a problem. All right, y'all, that is today's show. Uh, you will notice that I have not said anything about what happened in Uvalde, Texas, uh, or about what's going on with the debate around gun access and gun control. I'm going to hold my fire, so to speak, on that um, and possibly do a discussion, kind of like what we did with abortion. So to be determined on what we do around that, if you're if you want me to do that, if you would have a question that you would want me to ask uh, someone and the pro-con around gun access laws, uh, leave a voice note, send a DM on Instagram or Twitter. As always, thank you for tuning in to Where the Party At, your favorite political podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share it with your friends and family who want to know what's happening in Atlanta, Georgia, and beyond. Until next week, peace out.